I almost uh, feel bad for being up here because I think I'm going to ruin the moment. <laughs> um, because I got a story to tell you, and I love hearing stories and telling stories, except that you know the story is going to be wild when it begins with vomit. But that's where the story starts. And this is how it goes. And God said, vomit him. It's found in the book of Jonah. If you'd please follow along with us. Jonah chapter 2. We have been following and tracking Jonah as he is tumbling through God's lessons and experiencing God's deliverance and now comes face to face with God himself. Chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, verse 10. And God commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I find that really, really interesting. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you've uh, wrestled with us, thought about uh, the story of Jonah, a very familiar story, and yet we've been sort of trying to dissect it slightly differently. And and, uh, what we found was that Jonah was a prophet commissioned by God, utilized by God, called by God, gifted by God. But in this moment, when he was given this one particular task to go to the great city of Nineveh, he decided to reject God. You know the story. He got on a boat, tried to flee in the other direction. Storms came. The people around him realized that something was up, and he said, it is my fault. Jonah says, it is my fault. And so they ask him, what should we do? And he says, just throw me over the side. And they do. The fishermen throw Jonah over the side. The sea's calm. And Jonah gives himself up for dead and figures this is the end. And, and I've, I've done enough to make God upset. And I'm just going to end my life. It's better that I die. And as he begins to sink, the word of God tells us that God sent a great fish who swallowed him up. And he was in the fish for how many days? Three days. A significant amount of time. Three days. And there in the fish, Jonah begins to wrestle with himself, having given up on himself and on his call and on his purpose and on everything he had done, he begins to wrestle and say, you know, maybe God is not the way I have always pictured him. Maybe the things that I have been saying about God are actually true, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is kind, and that he will forgive. And so he begins to cry out in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. And he says, I cried out to God and God answered me. God answered me. So I will praise his name. And when he finally gets through this prayer, the word of God tells us. <clears throat> and God says to the fish, go ahead and throw him up. <clears throat> I, I found that really interesting because, see, when I think of vomit, I think of something kind of messy. I, I remember hearing the stories in, in Cradle Roll, and they never really dwelled on the vomit, although I think they should. You know, they said, oh, and then God said, and then, and then the fish put him on dry land, like, here you go. But that's not what it says, right? It says, it says vomit. What does it say on your, your version? Spit, vomit. And when I think of vomit, I think of something kind of smelly, kind of uh, sour. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like throwing up. Some people do. It's, it's, it's an unusual feeling. And, and I know when, when it's about to go down. Uh, when I was a kid, I had altitude sickness. Uh, and, and I lived in a country that has great variations in altitude. And uh, so I got accustomed to the idea that it was coming. I know how it is for me. Uh, I start to salivate, and then it's, it's going to happen. 
Do you know what I mean? You get this feeling, you're like, oh, something's not right. And, oh, oh boy. And I remember specifically one time my mother and I were traveling. We were in Brazil uh, with the whole family, but uh, I was the youngest. I was four or five years old. I was pretty little. So my brothers returned back to Bolivia to go to school, but I stayed a little longer, my mother and I and, and her hometown. And there we spent a couple of months, and after a couple of months, all I spoke was Portuguese being very little and just kind of immersed in the culture. All I spoke was Portuguese. So we made the trek back, just her and I, just the two of us, and um, uh, we were, didn't have money for planes, so it was all by trains and buses, et cetera. And, and on the last leg of our trip, we go from basically uh, low altitude to La Paz, which is our hometown, which is 12,000 feet above sea level. So it's quite a climb. And uh, I distinctly remember being on the, on the bus and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And, uh, oh, I knew it was coming. I mean, I, I knew this had happened before. I was trying to rest because it was in the middle of the night. And uh, my mom had only been able to secure the middle seat, you know, the, the, the one in the aisle, not the one in the window, the one in the aisle. And so we were, I was on her lap, and there was somebody next to us. And, and uh, um, there suddenly I woke up, and I said to my mom, Janela. And uh, she goes, what? I said, Janela. Now, we were already in Bolivia. Nobody else understood what I was saying, but I was saying, Janela. And she was like, uh, she had already, you know, converted back to Spanish once we crossed the border. And she was like, ¿Qué? And I said, Janela, Janela. And she goes, ¿Qué? And I said, Janela. And then she realized that means window in Portuguese. But it was too late. By the time she got the person next to her awake, please, la ventana, the window, it was coming. And there it was. And she did the best she could to gather her all up like a good mom in her hands and try to shove it and me out the window so we could. See, when I think of vomit, that's what I think of. Something messy, something smelly, something not quite right or perfect. But many times as we read the story, we sort of figure that Jonah has gone through this process of deliverance. He was in the belly of the fish for three days, and I'm sure it was bad in there. And when he finally says, no, God, I understand who you are. Please deliver me in my distress. I know you will because he says, and I will look again to God's holy temple. And God says, okay. But, but, but then he doesn't just like, ah. Suddenly he's, you know, walking out of the fish. And, and then the, the, the heavens have parted. And the Bible says he's, he threw him up. You see, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. And the story begins, we find Jonah having been delivered, but it's not quite as clean and pristine as sometimes we imagine deliverance to be. Jonah's in a mess, in a, in a very bad situation. He has, he has essentially asked to be killed. He's, he's attempted suicide here, but God collects him, and then he says, okay, God, and then God delivers him in vomit. I'm not quite sure if you're capturing what I'm saying. But I think that sometimes those of us that go through difficult situations and we cry out to God and God delivers us, we expect everything to be happily ever after. But it's not always like that. Sometimes we think, God, I thought you were going to fix this problem. I prayed. I asked. And then how come it's still smelly? And why is it still dirty? And why do I feel so icky? And we begin to doubt the fact that God has already provided deliverance. 
So the word of God says that Jonah was vomited onto dry land. And then the word of God, verse 1, chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and he says, Jonah, remember what I said before. I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I have given you. See, this is what God had already said, not once, but before he had known Jonah had known this that's why he had run away when God actually asked him as you'll see so God says now that I've got your attention now that you've covered in vomit believe me the 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 people next to us on the bus they had my attention after that whenever I said Janela everybody jumped God says, now that I have your attention, I want you to remember what I have called you to do and who I purposed you to be. Go to the great city of Nineveh. This time, chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of God and went to Nineveh. I'm just going to read along, follow along with me. Now Nineveh was a very important city, and a visit required three days. And on the first day, Jonah started into the city, and he began to proclaim, now with a certain sense of boldness. And he said, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. And the Ninevites believed God, and they declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. See, Jonah had finally, God had finally gotten Jonah's attention. And Jonah says, okay, God, okay, you, you got me. I get it. I'm supposed to do this. Okay, I'm going to go. And, and having been through this moment of, of like utter despair, hopelessness, and having been delivered, now, he claimed in chapter 2, I trust you. I believe in you. And I'm ready. And so God says, okay, go. And he goes into the city, and he begins to, preach and and yell and 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 warn the people and in his mind he feels like he's finally living out his call and saying here okay i tried to run away from god that didn't work out so i'm gonna do it and he begins to preach and it's kind of funny because in just a couple of phrases there the tide turns in nineveh but but it couldn't have been that simple see nineveh was a very wicked city the bible says so in fact it was notorious for being wicked it was notorious for being uh, full of lawlessness it was a city of great commerce, so a lot of things passed through there, uh, you know, money and, and merchants and people, and, and, and it had grown, and it had power, and it had influence, and it had wickedness. That's why Jonah didn't want to go there in the first place, because he thought, if I go there, they're going to eat me alive. Well, he was eaten alive, but not by Nineveh. So when he shows up at Nineveh, he begins to preach in the Bible. And just like a couple of phrases says, and Jonah preaches, and all he has to say is 40 more days, and the Ninevites believed God. Jonah wasn't really prepared for that. He wasn't really prepared that, he didn't really think people were actually going to listen. Even after God had delivered him for this purpose, he wasn't really sure that people would hear him. He just realized or thought, I need to just do what I'm supposed to do. And he preaches. And the Bible says here when chapter 3, verse 6, when the news reached the king, he rose from his throne, took off his robes, covered himself in sackcloth, sat down in the dust, and then he issued this proclamation. By the decree of the king and of his nobles, don't let any man or beast, herd, flock, use anything. Do not let them eat or drink. This is a fast. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God might yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. The king, the word comes to the king and the king says, everybody, we're going to have a fast. The, the concept of sackcloth and ashes is, is a symbolic way of saying I am sorry for what I've done. And it says the whole nation of us, I mean our whole city, man and beast, 
We're going we're gonna to be sorry for what we've done, and we're going to pray to God, and who knows, maybe God will forgive us. Jonah said, 40 more days, and you guys are done. Turn from your evil ways. And, and the king says, Let, let's do that. And verse 10 tells us that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. It's a fantastic verse about the deliverance of an entire city. Can you imagine that? A great city like San Diego or, or, or New York. And the king and the people all said, God, we're sorry. Please forgive us. And the word of God tells us here that God turned from his threats and instead he had compassion. And that should be the place where, you know, the ribbons are tied neatly and they live happily ever after, including Jonah. But that's just not what happens. <laughs> because in chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible tells us that Jonah was greatly displeased. In fact, he was angry. Now, you know the story, you've heard it probably, but, but think about it for just a moment, okay? The Bible says Jonah was not happy. In fact, he was angry about what God had done, and he prayed to the Lord. And listen to what he says. O oh Lord, in my version it says, is this not what I said when I was still at home? You know what he's saying? Saying, I told you, I told you so. He says to God, look, look, didn't I say that you were going to do this? That's why I didn't even want to come. He says, because I knew you were, this is fascinating. He says, that's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding love, a God who relents from sending calamity. In that verse, he explains things about God, but he says, I knew you were like that. That's why I didn't even want to bother. Why send me out to proclaim all this stuff when you're going to be nice about it? That's, see, I told you so. I knew you weren't going to do anything about it. He gets upset at God, which is, which is really, really weird because if he just took a moment and smelled himself, he would still smell the vomit. Verse 3 says, now, Lord, just take my life. I'm done with you. It is better for me to die than to live. Second time. Just, just forget it. See, I, I knew when you sent me out, when you told me to go preach, I knew this is what you're going to do. I was going to go out there and make a big ruckus and then look like a fool. When you're for, like, I know you're forgiving and gracious and all that stuff, and I can't take it anymore. Just, just get rid of me. <laughs> it's fascinating if you compare those statements to the ones we just read in chapter 2, where he says, oh, I called to you in my distress, and you heard me, oh God, and I will praise your name. He is extolling God's grace and mercy in the belly of the fish. But up on dry land, he is extolling God's grace and mercy, but he's not happy about it. I knew you. I told you. You're just like that, God. I, I can't believe you. Why don't you just complete your threats already? When you're going to say you're going to smite them, why don't you smite them already? Why send me out there to, you know, proclaim all the? If you're never going to do it, gosh, why are you like this, God? Why are you so forgiving? 
Why are you so compassionate and slow to anger? Forget it. I don't want to deal with you anymore. But God said, do you have any right to be angry? I like that question from God. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shall we go back? Shall we rewind a couple of days? And Do you have any right to be angry? Have you any right to question me? This is what actually God is saying. And Jonah says, this is uh, verse 5. Jonah went out, sat down in a place, and there he made for himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So he goes out, and God, you know, lets Nineveh off the hook, and Jonah's upset, but he goes up there, and he says, I'm going to go sit up here. I'm going to watch, and you, you better do what you said. You're gonna, you better kill these people off, and I'm going to watch. He, he finds a nice perch, and he watches. Even though he goes, I, I know you're so gracious and forgiving, but, and then God provided, this is uh, chapter 4, verse 6, God provided a vine that came up and grew up over Jonah and gave shade for his head, <clears throat> and ease his discomfort. And jo- Jonah was very suddenly happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which to the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die a third time. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And then God said to Jonah, why? Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And he said, oh, yes, I do. I have a right to be upset. I'm angry enough to die. That's the fourth one. And God says, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow, and it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Why are you so upset about the vine? Clearly, Jonah has anger issues. A weed grows up, a weed dies, and he's like, oh, that makes me so mad I want to die. He's kind of dramatic as well, but he has got anger issues. But what's he really angry about? He's angry about the true character of God, which he has, even until now, failed to understand. See, here's the thing. You and me, when we're in the storm, we cry out to God. And we say, I believe you are gracious and kind and merciful. And when we're in the belly of the fish, three days sometimes it takes us to go through it, to be, to be in this moment of turmoil and confusion. We say, dear God, please. And then when God finally delivers us, we think we come out completely clean and that I am fixed. When I am delivered from this precarious situation, I finally got a job. You know, I got absolved from some wrongdoing or, or things cleared up. We think, oh, you know what? I had nothing to do with that in the first place. See, I have been vindicated, and we forget that God is in the process of growing and transforming us. So Jonah comes up out of the fish, and he says, you see, I'm a prophet, like I told you. Let me go over there and tell him what's up. But he did not understand the heart of God. So when God relents from the punish that he threatened to Nineveh, Jonah reveals what's really going on inside of him. And isn't that just interesting? Because on the one hand, you can hear him cry out to to God for mercy inside the belly of the fish, but now when God has given mercy to somebody else, suddenly Jonah does not want God to be merciful. See, that's the fascinating thing to watch in the story, but it's heartbreaking to watch in real life. And yet it happens all the time. It happens to us and to you. It is heartbreaking to watch somebody 
going through difficult things in, 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 in life situations, and they cry out to God, and God blesses them. But then when God blesses somebody right around them, they say, what? you have no right to be here. My sin wasn't that big, but yours, God can't forgive that. It happens right around us. And God is trying to help us understand that the only way the vomit gets cleansed is when we finally come into the true understanding of God's grace. God's grace is undeserved for everyone. Whether you're Jonah or Nineveh, whether this is your first time meeting God face to face or whether you've been Adventist all your life, it is undeserved for everyone. And still God gives it. And God says to Jonah, isn't it my grace to give? And Jonah says, no, no. Jonah says, I should have a say in who gets mercy and not. And God says, <laughs> fascinating. And, and the reason I want you to understand the story is because in the last three weeks here in our church community, it's been a crazy roller coaster ride of both challenges and blessings. Now, I know some of you guys are not aware, but maybe your own particular story might mimic some of the things that we have seen and witnessed here in our church, where we have found individuals in our community in great, great distress, crying out for prayer and crying out to God and asking for deliverance. And we have seen in the last two weeks God deliver people from, from certain snares. And yet, as they come up, Here's the warning for today. We have this tendency to feel that we, we have been vindicated and that now we get to decide how God can dispense grace, but that is just not the way it is. God aims to transform us so we finally realize that grace is unmerited for everyone and that we need it every day, even after we come out of the belly of the fish. Even after we begin to follow God's true calling on our, we still need God's grace. Even after we begin to live out the true purpose of our lives, we still need God's forgiveness. We still need God's grace. We still need to proclaim what he proclaimed inside the belly when he said, you God are merciful and I cried out to you and you listened to me because that's who you are. Even though we may not be in the moment in the fish down in the certain valley of death, we still need to cry out to God. We still need to proclaim because the transformation has not yet been completed. We still smell. We still are sticky and full of imperfections and God is trying to cleanse us. Christ's sacrifice paid for our sins once and for all, but your transformation is not complete. The Bible says so. It won't be complete until you meet him face to face and until that moment, you've got to grow. You've got to trust. And you know God's exercise for doing that? <clears throat> He asks you to extend grace to other people. That's his, that's his workout. Like in the story, God gave Jonah grace. I mean, scandalous grace. But then he says, and now, to work it out, I want you to experience extending grace to somebody else. And that's what Jonah, that's where Jonah is. And I mean, theologians, 
Pastors love this story because the story has no ending. <clears throat> God says, why are you upset? Why are you concerned? And Jonah says, I'm mad about the weed. And, 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 and God says, you're concerned about this tiny little insignificant plant. Even though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight, overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell the right from their hand and cattle as well. Shouldn't I be concerned about that great city? God says, you still haven't understood my heart. And, and the, the question is left hanging there. What do you think? See, we don't know. Does Jonah finally say, okay, God, you're right. Your grace is undeserved for everyone, including me. Or does Jonah say, no, I'm mad. <laughs> And the reason theologians love this story is because it leaves the door open for you to find an answer. Having been through the situations that you've been through or are currently going through, having experienced God's grace, are you going to turn around and close the door on others who also need God's grace? Or are you going to exercise this unmerited favor? Because that's where God's name is truly proclaimed. Not only when we say God has blessed me, God has forgiven me, God rescued me. Yes, that's important. But God's name is truly glorified when we extend that grace to people around us. God said, as I have loved you, so now you love one another. See how that works? And in our community, in our church, that is sorely needed right now. God has been blessing, including some of you here, with tremendous deliverance. But now he's asking us and challenging us, now go and extend this grace to those right around you.